Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is the Green Bar Sports Open Line. Goes bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it as we roll into hour number two of the program. My name's Matt Pauley. We always tell you during the uh, shortened extra inning show on uh, weekday day games that we can take your phone calls, text messages, and tweets during sports open line. So that's exactly what we'll do right now. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can also tweet into the program if you'd like. At Matt Pauley on air. I guess the question is, how are you feeling about what happened in the eighth inning today with Ron Culpa? And does that change anything for you in terms of Automated strike zone eventually coming in, a uh, an appeal system, uh, how that impacts the game today. I was frustrated with it. I am not one that's in favor of a fully automated strike zone. If they ever get it to the point where the technology is there, where it's going to be right 99.9% of the time, nothing's ever going to be right 100% of the time. If they ever get the technology to the point where it's going to be right 99.9% of the time, then I'm all in on it. But I continue to hear that the system that's being used uh, right now in the minor leagues does not have that kind of uh, accuracy, that human umpires and it are about the same. Now, the other system that is used is the appeal system where if there's a big moment and a big pitch and you disagree with the call – you can appeal it, and that's it. Basically, becomes an instant replay or a replay challenge, I should say, for a ball or a strike call. I think today that would have been helpful. That would have been helpful. Um, now the question is, how would have it been used today? So let's let's play that out. Three zero pitch, the three one pitch. That was or the three zero pitch was. It was a ball, but it wasn't a ball by a ton. And if you're going to the appeal system, I would think that it has to be an egregious mistake to have a ball strike call overturned. So do you challenge that 3-0 count, the 3-0 pitch that goes as a 3-1 strike, and if you do, if that call goes against you and then the same 3-1 pitch comes in, 
Do you still have a? Are you able to challenge more than once inside of the same at bat? Like, so there's going to be things that they gotta they gotta get figured out. I don't know uh, what that's going to look like. We did uh, hear from both Alec Burleson and Oliver Marmel. They both spoke uh, after the game, and uh, specifically, each of them did talk about uh, what happened there in the eighth inning when those calls are being made. We'll start with Marmel. Uh, yeah, um, obviously, wanted a different outcome. Didn't happen. When you have a zone that's expanded like that, how does that change the approach and the count? Um, yeah, it's tough. These guys are already tough enough to hit against when you have to expand the zone and put something to play that's off the plate. That's where you tend to uh, be on the ground and be less productive. So, uh, unfortunately, that's the way it worked out. I think Oliver Marmel was being fairly reserved in his comments. Alec Burleson certainly spoke a little bit more openly about what went down. You can't make those calls in that situation. Um, you know, the 3-0... I thought it was borderline. I asked him if it was corner, and he said, yeah, it's the corner. So that, to me, means you're not going any more, any more than that. And then he went, what, three more balls after that, So, um, which forced me to swing at the 3-2. Um, yeah, it's frustrating, definitely frustrating. You alluded to it right there, really, but when you, are, when you know you have to continuously look outside the zone, it pretty much changes the complexity of the at-bat. Especially with that guy. Um, you know, he, he's... That's what he wants to do with lefties. Um, he wants you to, you know, hit ground balls and, um, you know, doing everything in my power right there to, you know, not do what I did. And, um, you know, he kind of forced my hand a little bit. But, yeah, it's just, I don't, I don't know what to say. Is it more pressure? Yeah, that's the part of when he says force the hand, that 3-2 pitch that he ends up grounding into a double play, he's probably not swinging at that if the last two pitches had not been called strikes, especially the 3-1 pitch that was called for a 3-2 strike, that almost forces the hitter to swing at just about anything in that situation because you don't have the belief that it's going to not be called for a strike. And then you end up putting it on the ground and it goes for a double play and what should have been a tied game turns into inning over. And it's just um, it's frustrating to watch it go down that way. Text message from the 314 says, I don't care what anyone says. The umpire ruined the game for everyone in the eighth. It could have gone to extra innings, generating more revenue for Major League Baseball. For the first time, I'm now in favor of automation behind home plate. Uh, didn't the plot twist in the middle of uh, that text as I'm uh, reading it. Um, let's see. Let's Another uh, text says, I'm 47. I've never had to wear glasses. Having said that, my eyes aren't nearly what they used to be, and yet we have guys like this calling balls and strikes. I'm sorry, but it's a major flaw in the technological world that we live in today. I do th- so... I go back and forth when we're talking about the automated strike zone because I do think there's value in the home plate umpire being engaged in every single pitch. And sometimes I would be worried about the fact that if you've just got a home plate umpire just kind of standing back there and he's not calling every ball and every strike, I would be worried about... Uh, the engagement in the game. I think it becomes that much more challenging. That being said, at the same time, we're asking these umpires to do a whole lot more. You know, and they have to enforce the pitch clock. Uh, the, there's there's just a lot going on. 
There's a lot more going on when it comes to umpires now than ever before, and we're holding these umpires to a higher standard. There's and there's nothing wrong with that. We should we should hold everybody to a high standard. If you are a professional in what you do, it is okay to be held to a high standard. Uh, but the the standard is even higher for umpires now, just because of as the texter said, the technological world that we live in. If they make a mistake, we know. We know they're making a mistake, and we know that they are making a mistake instantaneously. Major League Baseball is telling us that they're making a mistake. There's there's StatCast data all over the place, and as soon as those pitches are called for balls today, we know immediately that they should have been called for, excuse me, when they're called for strikes, we know immediately that they should have been called for balls, and there's just no way around it. So this what happened today doesn't happen a lot. It it does not happen that often that a game and a result of a game is impacted the way it was today. It was impacted. If the umpire is making the correct calls, if Ron Culpa is making the correct calls in the eighth inning, what's going to happen is the Cardinals are going to tie it up. We don't know what's going to happen beyond that, but we know that the Cardinals tie it up and it becomes a different game. So we would be lying to say that the umpire, that Ron Culpa, did not have a profound impact on the game today. The question is, how often does that happen? How often in a one-run game is there an egregious call that literally takes a run off the board or puts a run on the board? I don't think it happens that often. So it's really easy to be righteously indignant here at the moment because of what happened today and try to sit here and try to fix the world and this has to happen and this has to happen, where when we take a step back, it's not having that much of an impact on the game overall, just from a how often something like what happens today does occur. To go back to the other side, though, I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here. What happened today still can't happen. That cannot happen. And that's a call that cannot be made. That's a that's a that's a run coming off the board for a team that, while we're being honest about things, is probably out of it, probably not going to be a playoff team this year. But they're trying to make a little bit of a run here and trying to make things interesting. And they're on a run. And maybe, just maybe, if that call goes the other way, they end up winning and that run keeps going. So it's it's frust I think everybody who's frustrated by it. I think you have every right to be frustrated by it. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, uh, Jared Willis is going to uh, join us. Uh, He covers uh, baseball for uh, CHGO Sports, which is uh, just a a great media outlet in the uh, Chicago area, doing lots of great content. We'll get his take on uh, what went down today and what's going on with the Cubs as they head towards the trade deadline. That's all coming up. It's Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is America's Sports Voice. KMOX. Back at it on a Gray Bar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX, your home for the Cardinals. Cardinals falling short earlier today to the Cubs by a 4-3 score at series even at one game apiece as the four-game series will continue tomorrow and Sunday afternoon. We're going to go to the Quiver River Electric guest line right now. We're very happy to uh, welcome on to the program. He is uh, Jared Willis. He's part of the uh, team at uh, CHGO Sports. I always uh, make sure I want to get that right as he uh, joins us right now. Jared, appreciate you taking some time with us today. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. Good to talk some baseball with you today. That, that is the correct way to pronounce your outlet, right? Like, I think I ask you that every single time I have you on. <laughs> You've got it 100% right. Okay. And every time I say it, I'm thinking to myself, am I doing this right? So <laughs> I am doing it right for once. You got uh, it. For once. Yep, All right. You got it. Um, I'll tell you, the, the big story right now in St. Louis after the game today, and everybody's talking about it, is Alec Burleson's at the plate. The count's 3-0. 3-0 pitch looked a little bit outside, called for a strike uh, by Ron Culpa, and then the 3-1 pitch is egregiously outside, and it's called for a strike as well. And then there's a ground ball double play, and that gets the Cubs out of the inning. How much is that being talked about in Chicago? You know what? It's, it's, it, was, it was bad enough that it is being talked about here, too. Um, obviously the feeling in Chicago is going to be a little different than in, in St. Louis, but the reaction here in Chicago has been very much almost like, Hey, we, we kind of got away with one there. Um, and I saw a few people pointing out that, you know, I'm not a robot umpire guy, but you know, a few people pointing out, Hey, with a robot umpire, that game probably turns out differently. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting call because it's one where, both sides seem to agree umpire missed that call. Um, you've got one team that, you know, in St. Louis that's understandably upset, and then team in Chicago that, where the feeling is like, okay, wow, we we kind of got one there, and, and we're just going to take that and turn the page and move on to the next one before anyone notices. But, um, yeah, again, I'm not a big robot umpire guy, but that that was one example where it's it's hard to argue against it. Is that one where maybe as far as the full automated strike zone going to a system where you can challenge certain ball and strike calls, that that's, the, that's more of a, a reason to do that as, as opposed to the totally 100% automated zone? Yeah, definitely. And I think that was a, it's a great example, too, of, of a time when you really need that option because you're talking about a high-leverage inning, an extremely high-leverage at-bat, which could really – truly have turned the tide of the game you could get a totally different result with the with the what i would say would would, would what should have been the correct call should have been ball four um it, which you know changes everything about that game and so i think there should be an opportunity at least for you know in that case for 
for the Cardinals to say, hey, we need that one checked. We've got, we're asking for a, a review on that call. And if you have an automated strike zone, I would think it would be fairly easy for them to say, looks like our umpire missed that call. That one's ball four. Take your base. And, you know, you move on to the next batter. Because, um, uh, yeah, exactly like you said, that's a case where I think baseball needs that option because when it's, it's late in a game like that, bases are loaded it's this high extremely high leverage moment you you can't have it decided on on a missed call like that here's what frustrates me beyond just the fact that it was a missed call what frustrates me i don't know how much you heard from alec burleson in the post game he said that on the 3-0 pitch that was called for a strike, a 3-1 he asked ron culpa where it was and culpa said it caught the corner so if Culpa's going to sit there and say it was on the corner, that means anything beyond that point should not be called a strike, and the next pitch is. So what that tells you is Culpa, from one pitch to the next, could not designate the strike zone. If Culpa doesn't say it's on the corner on the 3-1 call, I feel differently about 3-2. Like That's where I just I feel for Burleson. I'm, I'm, I'm just going on a rant here, but that that's the frustrating yeah. part for me because Culpa told Burleson one thing and then does another on the next pitch. Yes, exactly. And and the thing that hitters, you know, batters will tell you consistently is they just want to know how the umpire is going to call something. And that's why they ask. And that's why, you know, Burleson in that case turns to the umpire and asks him, well, you know, how did you see that? You know, what, why did you call that a strike? And he gets an answer. And then as the batter, his approach is affected by what, what the umpire has just told him. And so when he gets this, you know, it, when, when the consistency isn't there from the umpire, it creates a situation where as a batter, you start swinging at things that you might no, not normally want to swing at, or, you know, it gets you out of your game plan or your approach. And so it's, it's definitely as a batter, very, it makes their job extremely difficult when they don't feel like they're getting consistency from the umpire. You told me that this is how you're calling this pitch, but you change it on the very next pitch. You, you can't have that. Because I think batters will allow for, okay, maybe your zone is a little wide or you call things a little bit low. But as long as you're consistent about that, they can handle that. It's when I see you calling it this way on one pitch and then the next pitch you call it differently, then they don't know what to do. And it puts the batters in, a, in an impossible situation. And then he's swinging at another three, uh, three-two pitch that's outside the zone and grounds into a double play. It's a, it's a very exactly. interesting baseball conversation to be had because what Culpa says then does leads to the swing on the three-two. I just uh, maybe I'm getting exactly. a little dorky here, but I, I, I think it's worth talking about. No, I, and I agree because again, when you're, you know, this wasn't just any at bat either. This wasn't the third inning with nobody on base. This is the end of the game with the bases loaded and the Cardinals are down by one run. That's that stuff really matters. Um, and it's, yeah, it's fair to say you put this hitter in a, in a bad spot. And so, yeah, he's probably swinging at a three, two pitch that he normally wouldn't swing at. And now here's a double play. And, and that's that um, maybe in the grand scheme of things, these, this stuff all kind of comes out in the wash, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, in the moment at least, it really created a terrible situation for the hitter. It feels unfair because it really kind of is. Um, and so I think if, you know, for your the Cardinals fans, for your people in St. Louis who are feeling frustrated, 
I think it's totally justified. All right, so when the season got started, and I was as wrong as you can possibly be, and I'll wear it, when the season (laughs) got started, I thought the Cardinals were going to win close to 90 games and probably win the division by 10 games. But I thought the Cubs were the second-best team in the division. I thought they would probably be just a little bit over 500, maybe 83, 84 wins, somewhere in there, and you know, kind of be in wild-card contention up until you know late August or, or something like that. It hasn't worked out that way for for the Cubs either. Um, am I on an island here? Is, has it been disappointing <laughs> with the way things have gone? Because even if there weren't yeah. super high expectations for the Cubs, it doesn't feel like they they've met the expectations that were there. Not at all, Matt. I'm I'm right there with you because actually preseason predictions that I put down, I put put the very pretty much the exact same thing. I picked the Cardinals to win the division. I thought the Cubs had a shot at a wild card, would probably win, you know, be just over 500. So it's definitely, it's been a disappointing season. And for the Cubs, one that's been really hard to figure out because they've done a lot of things well. They have good starting pitching. They have good defense. They, for the most part, they have a good bullpen. Um, So it's really hard to puzzle out, like, why does this team struggle so much to win games? Now, there's some issues with stuff like, they strand a lot of runners. They can get guys on base, but they don't do a great job of driving them in, which costs them a lot of close games, stuff like that. But it feels like a team that I think, you know, if I don't think they're going to do this at all, but if at the trade deadline they decided to try to add to their roster, maybe they could, they could salvage this season. Um, but I, I, I honestly, my, genuine expectation of the trade deadline is they're going to be sellers. You're going to see Bellinger and Marcus Stroman playing for other teams. Um, But yeah, definitely a season that has been, even with moderate expectations for the Cubs, has been a disappointment. Bellinger's had a a resurgence this season. What kind of value can he bring back at the deadline? Oh, he's, I mean, he's huge given given the year that he's had, because I think the big, the big test for Bellinger was can you show that you can you can be the guy that everybody saw his first three seasons with the Dodgers when he was the rookie of the year, when he was the MVP? And, and not that he had to put up the, the same kinds of numbers, but just show that you still have something like that in you. Um, and I really think he's done that this season. And so when you're talking about somebody who's 27 years old, who plays great defense in center field, can also play first base if you need it, gives you left-handed power. power. I, I, there's, there's all kinds of teams that are going to say, that's a guy that we want on our roster for the, the last two months of the season as we head into the playoffs. So um, it's a good spot for the Cubs because they're probably going to get a really nice return. But, you know, I say in diff- under different circumstances, this is a guy you'd be talking about trying to extend rather than trade, but that's not the, you know, that's not the situation here. Uh, but he's, he's going to be a, a, one of the, I think, the main names to watch at the deadline. Has the organization lost any faith in David Ross? I don't, well, I think to some degree. I think for David Ross, the season to watch is going to be next year. Um, because if, if they are looking at the same kinds of results in 2024, that's when I think his job is really in danger. Um, this year, the expectations were kind of, like I said, kind of moderate. They definitely, you know, they, they brought in some guys. They, they, they had a, a 
pretty big winter if you think about all the signings the Cubs made. You have Dansby Swanson, Jameson Tyon. I mean, they, they made some moves. Um, some of that hasn't worked out. Tyon's been kind of a disappointment. Um, but, you know, at some point you do have to look at the guy who's managing this team and say, we've done our part. We're, we're making this roster stronger and we're not getting the results. And so I think this year he's still kind of in a grace period, but I really do think if, if we're come end of July, 2024, the results still look the same. I think his job's in trouble. Jared Wills from uh, CHGO Sports continuing to join us. Last question for you, and this is kind of a off-the-beaten-path question, but we're in a period right now we saw another team leave uh, Bally Sports here over the last few days. The RSN situation's in a tough spot. A number of years ago, the Cubs started their own network with Marquee. It was not received well by Cubs fans. Now, with where we're at in this industry, does it look kind of retroactively that like that much better of a decision? And can the Cubs feel really good about that decision they made a few years ago, considering where uh, the RSN business has gone? Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 funny how you're you're exactly right. The initial reception of Marquee was very negative. Tom Ricketts was booed at the Cubs convention when he brought. It. Um, there's a lot of people in Chicago that still don't subscribe to it, and yet, compared to the situation in a lot of other cities, to have Bally as their, you know, their their local sports network, and this is you know where you can watch your games. Um, it's a much better situation because Marquis is not financially, at least is, is not, doesn't have the issues that Bally does. Um, now if eventually they, the team that's on the field is, is, is better. I think Marquis is really going to thrive because one of the things that's caused Marquis to struggle a little bit is the Cubs just haven't been, they've not been good, uh, since Marquis started. Uh, but yeah. To your point, it's it's definitely a better situation than a lot of these. I feel for these people in in some of these cities that are losing their carriers. I lied last thing. Do Cardinals fans hate it? Hate it when games are on Apple TV or Peacock. Like, I bring that up and my phones just go crazy. Are Cubs <laughs> do, do Cubs fans are they as vocal about it? Yeah, there's still some like you know there, there's still some grumbling, but I think in at least for Cubs fans, it still kind of stems from. A lot of the old school fans who are used to it's the Cubs. They're supposed to be on WGN. What are they doing on any other channel? Um, there's still a little bit of holdover from that. Uh, but yeah, I think every time there's like today, one of those Friday Apple TV games where it's, you get a lot of people who are like, where do I find this game? How do I watch this? Um, but it, for the most part, I think, you know, people have adjusted to it. Um, and for baseball in general, I think it's a good direction to go to get on some of these platforms, but make it accessible to more fans and, and people like it better. He is Jared Willis. You read him at uh, CHGO Sports. Does a great job covering baseball in the city of Chicago. Jared, thanks so much uh, for your time, and I'm sure we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks, Matt. All right, Jared Willis joining us here on a Graybar Sports Open Line via the Quiver River Electric Guest Line, and we appreciate his time. Uh, I want to get into actually the TV stuff a little bit, not so much the streaming and the Apple TV thing. We don't want to, we've done that enough. 
But there was a bit of a development today when it comes to the whole Bally sports situation, which is just wild. And maybe because I'm in media and I kind of geek out and dork out on these things, it means a little bit more to me than other people. But I found the development of today to be kind of interesting. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Also, how would you feel about leagues owning national sports networks? That could be coming in the future as well. We'll discuss it in just a moment. It's a great bar sports open line on KMOX. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes Smith swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it here on a Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. My name is Matt Pauley. We have about 20 minutes left in the program. So a couple things happened from a TV standpoint today that I, I think are interesting. I, I don't – I have a bad um, – I do a bad job or I don't have a real good feeling like on the pulse of just like general sports fans out there how much they really care about things like this. And I try to only talk about things that people care about. So I just – I don't know. I, I It's one of these things where I think it's a really big deal in sports, but I'm not sure if other people see it the same way. Uh, first off, there was a report today, because ESPN's in trouble from a financial standpoint, ABC, Disney, um, just the cord cutting that's going on, that we've seen major layoffs at ESPN. There's a lot of, and I'm not an ESPN hater by, by any stretch of the mind, but just the way people consume things and money that's been spent at the ESPN level, uh, it's there's a lot going on uh, with Disney, which owns ESPN and ABC and a whole lot of other things. And um, sometimes it gets a little bit political as well when it comes to Disney. And I, I don't want to go down that path. That's not why we're talking about this. But it was reported today that ESPN, because there there had been talk about them that Disney might completely spin ESPN off where all of a sudden ESPN might not be part of the Disney portfolio anymore, that they would sell it to a to somebody else. Well, there was a report today that ESPN has been talking with the NFL and the NBA about those leagues becoming a strategic partner. And when you say strategic partner, it means taking ownership. That makes me feel a little icky, to be perfectly honest with you. And it probably shouldn't. It probably shouldn't. Because right now, like if we're being really honest about things, Monday Night Football and ESPN being in bed with the NFL and everything, if if ESPN wants something squashed, if the NFL wants something squashed or wants something not covered as much as maybe a journalist at ESPN wants to cover Roger Goodell can probably make a phone call to Disney chairman Bob Iger and and you can get it done. So the NFL and, and the NBA to a lesser extent, but the NFL already plays a large role in some some content and some editorial decisions at ESPN. Nobody at ESPN is ever going to admit that, but it's it's truthful. And so 
when when I hear that the NFL might buy part of ESPN, that makes me immediately feel a little bit icky because I feel like that's going to limit the ability of journalists at ESPN to cover the team. That being said, how many true journalists are there left at ESPN? And I'm not trying to like go off on, on anybody, but, and when I think about journalists, I think about like investigative reporters. I'm not really including like the Adam Schefters and the Adrian Wojnarowski, Wojnarowski's of the world. Not that they are not journalists, but more than journalists, they're newsbreakers. And I just, I think there's a difference between reporting that somebody's going to get signed and then going in. Like the, the Washington Commanders story is one that has been reported on very heavily. And it's those type of journalists that really get deep into stories. And I think a lot of times what Adam Schefter and what Adrian Wojnarowski do, and this is not me denigrating the job that they do, but they get bits of information because of the contacts that they have, and they're able to report kind of headline-type news as opposed to them going really in deep. So when, when I talk about this, I'm talking about the, the, in, the, the journalists that really go deep on things, that can kind of have that, uh, yeah, that, that deep investigation that we don't see exist as much in today's journalistic world. And I think that's important. So I, I don't know. I just, when I hear that, the, that ESPN might bring on the NFL or might bring on the NBA as a strategic partner. At first, it makes me feel icky, but then at the end of the day, I don't think anything's going to change. I, I think ESPN is already completely in bed with those leagues, and rightfully so. That's the thing. I'm not even being critical here. You, if you're in the world we live in right now, what's going to get viewership is – Live sports. I was just talking with Matt Pajeski the other day because we were we were talking about commercials. We were talking about, and I said to him, "Man, I don't, I just don't see TV commercials very often anymore, because we do subscribe to a lot of uh, streaming services in the Pauly household. So if there's a if there's a show we watch on ABC or we watch on Fox, we don't watch it live. Generally, we're watching it the next day on Hulu, and we're not watching commercials." Same thing. If there's something on NBC, we're watching it on Peacock the next day, and we're not watching it uh, with commercials. If there's something on CBS, we're watching it on Paramount Plus the next day, and we're not watching it with commercials. So the only opportunity I have to watch something where there's commercials is live sports. And so I just don't see a lot of commercials in my in my everyday life outside of watching sports. So if you're ESPN, the thing that's going to draw people to your product and get people to watch the commercials that you are charging for, it's going to be live sports. And if part of the cost of airing live sports is preserving your relationships with the leagues by allowing the league to set, have dictate a little bit on some of the content, I don't like it from a big J journalism standpoint. I don't like it at all, but I understand it from a business standpoint. I completely, 100%, without a doubt, understand it because I'm running a business. I'm answering to shareholders. I'm doing all these things where I need to have live sports on my network 
because in the way that we consume media right now, that's the one thing that's going to get people to sit down on their couches, watch something in real time, watch commercials, not be watching it on delay. So it's a really, um, that's where we're at right now in the media business, and it's interesting. And then you do have the Bally Sports situation. I just think this is wild, which came down today. So this is almost, this is so convoluted, I'm going to have a hard time explaining this to you. But Bally Sports, the when when uh, when Fox Sports, the RSNs, like when it was Fox Sports Midwest, when those went away, and it became Bally Sports across the country. All of those regional sports networks were essentially bought by what was called Diamond Sports Group. And Diamond Sports Group was a part of Sinclair Broadcast Group. And Sinclair made the Diamond Sports thing its own thing. Well, Sinclair Broadcast Group is now being sued by Diamond Sports Group. These two things used to be the exact same thing. The Sinclair created Diamond to put these Bally Sports Networks under that umbrella. But after they went through a whole bankruptcy thing because they had to pay out uh, because of just the the RSN bubble has completely dropped. uh, All of a sudden, Sinclair didn't really have the ownership anymore in Diamond, this thing that they created. And now there's lawsuits. So this thing that was created by Sinclair is now being sued by Sinclair All the while, we're at a point where teams are going to be coming off of Bally Sports one by one. We've seen the Padres do it. We've seen the Diamondbacks do it. Uh, In the NBA, we've seen the Phoenix Suns do it. Leagues don't want to be doing this anymore. They want teams and they want leagues to be able to figure things out. Uh, In San Diego and in Arizona, MLB Network has taken over the production of the game broadcast. Uh, They are more widely available than what was going on with with the Bally Networks. and it, it's it's a whole bankruptcy thing. It goes real deep into the the financial side of things. But at some point in time, Bally Sports just isn't going to exist anymore. And teams and MLB Network are going to be overseeing the production for all TV broadcast across. So again, don't know if you care about all that. I just think this what's going on right now is uh, very, very interesting as we watch in so many ways the sports media landscape completely, completely change. All right, one more break. We'll come back and we'll wrap up this uh, this uh, edition of a Graybar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. Starting to wrap up this edition of a Graybar Sports Open Line here on KMOX. My name's Matt Pauley. Cardinals baseball over the course of the weekend. They'll wrap up the series against the Cubs with afternoon games tomorrow and Sunday. Nate Gatter will have you for the pre and the post. I'll be back with you uh, coming up on Monday. Sports producer extraordinaire Matt Pajeski alongside. Matt, this is our first show that we've done, I believe, since uh, we learned the news that St. Louis is going to be one of the 16 cities that's getting an arena football league team in the uh, – resurgence of the Arena Football League. It hasn't been around for a while. It went through some financial problems, but it's uh, set to return. Do you get jazzed up at all about St. Louis getting an Arena Football League team? Uh, barely. Uh, I'm I'm only a casual XFL fan, to be honest. I went to uh, the home opener for the Battle Hawks. thought it was pretty awesome, got to admit. But if, if I'm a casual XFL fan, I don't know if I'm going to be 
too pumped up for indoor football. What year were you born? Uh, 1999. Oh my gosh. So did you know that St. Louis was once the home of an arena football league team? Only because of this coming back. Okay. I did not know that before this. Now there's been some like other low level indoor football league teams that have played over at uh, the family arena. But if we go back to the mid nineties, 95, 96, St. Louis was home to the St. Louis Stampede. In 1995, I would have been 13 years old. 1996, I would have been 14 years old. Jeez. But I viv- oh. I vividly remember going to St. Louis Stampede games, and they were fun. Where at? They were at what is now the Enterprise Center. I okay. guess it was in 95, it would have been Keel Center still. Mm-hmm. I think I don't think it was Scott Trade Center until after that. But, yeah, they played the St. Louis Stampede, played in what is now the Enterprise Center. I loved – I so I would grow up. We had the uh, we had the indoor hockey team, the uh, the Vipers, the St. Louis Vipers. They were like like a inline hockey team that played at the Enterprise Center as well. I, I went to those games a lot, man. I loved that. So I have a hard time believing that the new version of the Arena Football League will play at the Enterprise Center. Yeah, um, I would like this isn't a shot at the uh, Family Arena. But maybe Chaffetz Arena because you're you're still you're in you know you're in downtown St. Louis that way could I don't know if Chaffetz Arena could if it's got the dimensions it can do Disney on Ice so it can do uh, it can do any arena football right do we know what the uh, what the season is summertime 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 okay. yeah so uh, same time uh, kind of in the down part so in the we could potentially have a Cardinals game a city game and a insert name of new arena football league team here game all going on at the exact same moment uh, in 2024, 2024 is when the arena football league relaunches the next summer. Thanks so much for being tuned in to the program today. Have an absolutely wonderful weekend. We'll see if the Cardinals can win a couple games. I'll talk to you on Monday here on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.